What's up, everybody? It's time for another Ghost Code Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. Today's podcast is an interview with Tom DeWitt of TDW. TDW's new album, The Days the Clock Stopped, is out now on Layered Reality Productions. Check it out. You can never tell. You can never tell, Zoom. Zoom, you're no friend of mine. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Gotta love Zoom, right? <laughs> exactly. Ghost Cult Magazine welcomes in Tom DeWitt of TDW and Assorted Projects. Tom, how are you today? I am uh, I'm quite well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Keith. Yeah, congratulations on your new album. This is, you know, The Days the Clock Stopped is out now on Layered Reality, or it's coming out on Layered Reality Productions. I think you dropped a single, which I'm getting my... Well, actually, we've. Um, I mean, I can imagine there's there's so much coming out these days. So so it's like I can imagine that it's hard to keep track of everything. But uh, we actually dropped two singles, two videos, and um, the album is actually the digital version, like the streaming version, is coming out tomorrow on the fourth of December. And well, the thing is. Originally, that was also supposed to be the release date for the physical version for the full box set with CD, DVD, booklet, etc. But thanks to COVID, that has been delayed and we have to delay that to January of 2021. But we are celebrating the release of the new album tomorrow in the digital sphere. And I've also already sent it to the pre-order people and, you know, people are very excited about it. So, yeah, it, it is... It is an odd situation, but let's face it, 2020 has been odd for many people. So obviously, I won't be an exception to that rule, I would say. Nice. Well, you know, first of all, thank you for putting out your music and sticking to your guns, despite uh, perhaps a disappointment. I think that your fans will remember that and new fans you will make will remember that. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful. I've said this. I sound like a broken record, I'm sure, in all my videos and podcast (laughs) interviews. I am grateful. Music has been the one centering thing in this mad year. And I'm just thankful to have new music to talk with people about and to listen to and love and, you know, get me through basically. And I'm sure it's the same for you. Absolutely. It's, um, I would say um, the media landscape in a way, well, it, it to me, it's like, I'm I'm an, I'm also a nerd who plays a lot of video games when like my down like my main working time is like audio video and web design that's my work and obviously the the music I compose is my passion and then like video games is my way to just unwind my head so I think the two things that literally kept me alive this year were like uh, either video games that I could play without thinking too much, you know, like I've actually been really big on Tetris 99, for instance, because I could just zone out while playing it. So I subconscious could keep going and new music, like discovering new bands and obviously the releases with the label as well. It's like um, me, it's moments like these. We tend to live in a world that doesn't value art for what it can do at times, you know, it's like, Oh, art is like this, it's not it, it, like people tend to value business over art. But I think if one thing 2020 has proven that art is the very thing that can keep us sane in these weird, ridiculous trying times that we're in right now. I could not agree more. Great, great sentiment. Let's dial it back for a second before we talk about the album and the many questions I have for you. Let me just hear a brief origin story of tom how did you get started in music how did you get started making albums because you've had projects you've had other bands so i want to hear about kind of how you got started 
Um, well, I started making music when I was 14 years old. And uh, the thing was, back back then, I uh, was bitten by the bug because I've always been a creative person. I've been, you know, been writing, been drawing. I actually wanted to be a video game designer for a while as well when I was in my early teens, like from 12 to, say, 10 to 14-ish. And um, it was during the working on a project I was working on then. I was working on a video game with a bunch of friends. And then suddenly someone was like hey, we need music for this and we cannot just take someone else's music. So I was like, well, I can maybe try to compose something because I did write some really small songs with like piano and vocals or whatever. And um, that kind of grew into the fact that I, that, that I kind of fell out of love with game design and I fell in love with music. So from the composing of just working with samples when I was 14 years old, I could not play any instruments well. I was not that good a singer. Um, you know, all those things I just wasn't, but I just wanted to be able to make music. So I just started doing it and I got, I fell in love with the progressive, more melodic kind of metal that, uh, dream theater were doing back then pain of salvation, symphony action, or those kind of bands. And I felt like, you know, I'm not a grunter, but I can say, I, I think I can work on my singing voice and then I can maybe combine my voice with the music that I do. And that kind of led me on the career that I'm on right now, because um, basically every, every time I wanted to do something like, okay, I'm going to make an album now, um, I would still... I would basically just start making it, even though I did not know how to record properly or how to produce properly. I was like, well, okay, I'll probably find that out if I start doing it anyway, because, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, yeah, I don't know how to produce a record, so I'll just don't do it. And I'm like, well, you're not going to learn if you don't do it either, you know. Um, so in a weird way, I think my whole career and the fact that I'm right where I am now basically is a, is a testament to you don't necessarily have to start out incredibly talented or you know with 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 an incredible with a huge set goal in mind but you just got to have to drive to keep learning and keep working because I basically work my way up if I listen to the stuff I wrote when I was like 14 years old it, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever but I do think that even if it didn't make sense back then, it was a good learning curve to get to where I am now. Nice. And then so you're uh, fast forwarding to adult life and records. I, I'm, I'm trying to put my finger on, obviously, you have a, a really killer band with you here and amazing guests, which we'll talk about in a second. But do you consider the TDW project more like a solo band? Well, yeah, the, the CDW project always like I just started with that name because um, I, I thought my own name didn't sound good for, you know, for metal records. Like, yeah, OK, my name's just my name. So I figured an abbreviation would maybe be you, you could put like a different meaning to the letters TDW, which became the Dreamwalker at a certain point. And the fans of the music I called Dreamwalkers and the band Dreamwalkers Inc., which is now a separate band, came from that as well. So I kind of figured that the the acronym, the three-letter acronym, would be a good name to just put everything under that I want to do. And it kind of still is. If, if I, now it's progressive metal, but if in a few years I maybe want to make like an experimental piece with an orchestra, that is also TDW because I'm the guy making it. You know, that that's just... It's, it's a bit like the way Devin Townsend does his stuff or how Frank Zappa used to do his stuff. It's like, it's the name under which I can just have all the creative freedom in the world. And it's not a sad band, uh, sad band either in that sense. It's like, um, now I work with these musicians and I do think that I do really want to work with Rich and Fabio, the guys we hear in this record for the next one as well. But at the same time, if I feel like working with a completely different core of musicians in, in five or 10 years, then I can do that because the constant within the TDW project is me and everything around it can 
obviously morph and change and, and go into many different directions. Nice. And that definitely, you can definitely get a flavor for that from the whole album. It is a complete album. It is ridiculous. I love the cello from Remco and uh, there's so many layers of things to unpack. Obviously they had a video for one of the videos was for death and her brother, Greg, which is probably my favorite song on the record, but it's oh, definitely cool. strong all the way through. And uh, if I, I, now that I'm hearing a little bit about your background and some of your influences, it all kind of makes sense. I try not to get too deep into the for fans of and stuff with the publicity. And even though your publicist has been doing a great job, shout out Curtis Stewart. Absolutely. But I, yes. Just yes. personally, when I just like to listen, I, I, I get, Oh, progressive metal or progressive rock and then i listen to it and i make my own judgments that's a good approach i think because because then you also go in open like pre-judgment like it's nice to have info obviously but it's it can also really cloud the judgment that you will have when you go into up into something with an open mind um so so i i definitely see what you mean with that yeah right on and then how did you recruit this amazing group of guests? Because it is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, it, it might sound really. The thing is, ever since from I got to go back a few albums to, to, to you know to explain how that process goes because that still applies now. I just write the music I write. And um, when you hear the album now, obviously you'll hear you know the bass being played by Rich is his way of playing bass, but. The bass parts, the original bass parts, are mine. Same goes for the drums. Same goes for uh, for like I, I record the rhythm guitars myself, etc. So it's like I know what the song should be. When you hear a pre-production version of just me playing it, then you will still be able to recognize the song. But what I tend to do is I tend to look for people whose playing would emphasize or embellish those songs. So, for example, Rich is someone I, I met up with. Uh, earlier, well, last year, that was, uh, yeah, it was like late last year, I think. And um, I worked with Rich on the live album for Dreamwalkers Inc. that we released in May of this year. Like that's on YouTube right now. Sorry for the shameless plug, but for those who want to know it, free concert on YouTube. Go check it out. And Rich actually did the mastering for that. And I knew Rich from his work in Aeon Zen and Annihilator, etc. And, and that was just a paid job for him. Like some people forwarded me to Rich like, hey, he's also a producer. You need someone to do the mastering for you. You should work with Rich. And then we started talking. And then he told me that he actually really liked my music. So if he ever could contribute something to what I did because of his interest in the prog metal sphere, uh, he would love to do it. So that was a very simple opening for me because I was, because for me, I love bass. I think the bass guitar as an instrument is, um, is, well, I'm, I'm okay. One, one quick question. Can I, can I drop any F bombs in this or are you going to censor those? <laughs> you can drop all the F bombs you want. Go ahead. Okay. That's good to know because I think the bass is fucking beautiful and, and it should, you know, it should be, it should be seen as such, but therefore I think a good bass player is, is fundamental to the sound of a good band, you know, like, like that is, and the fact that I would have someone like Rich play my bass lines, I just knew, okay, this is going to lift the record up because his way of playing will, will push it forward. And basically, when I asked him to do that, he obviously—I mean, I did pay him. Obviously, it's a professional thing that we did this, but he did it because he also really liked doing it, because he really wanted to do it, and he wanted to be a part of this process. And 
kind of the same goes for Fabio, the drummer, because I just asked him. I just asked Fabio because Rich was obvious, is obviously in the band with him. And he was like, well, you should just ask Fabio if he wants to do this. And Fabio heard the music, the pre-pros, and he was like, Jesus, it would be amazing to play on this. You know, he really thought it would be an honor. So he recorded the whole album in two weeks notice. Like, I'm not even kidding. Two weeks. He did all of this in two weeks. It's ridiculous. Wow. And as a bassist, I know how hard that is. So that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting too. you know, your music does have a bit of an edge to it, but not too much. But it's awesome that you have kind of these players known for more aggressive music like Annihilator and Pain of Salvation mm-hmm. uh, and even Terra Maze to an extent that, you know, and, and Heidelberg, these these great master players, along with yourself, that mm-hmm. bring this kind of like you know, razor edge to the music that might not have it. Maybe you intended it that way. Maybe you didn't, but it's really cool to kind of flow that influence in. Yeah. The the, the thing is that I write the music I write in the way that I write it. And obviously I, my voice sounds the way it does. So if that means that my music doesn't have the quote unquote edge um, that for example, certain louder bands have, then it, it's not something I actively chase, but I'm also not shunning it, if you know what I mean. I just kind of write what comes natural. And um, that's why there are moments of grunts in there as well, you know, and there's blast beats in there and that kind of stuff. I, I do like melodic music. If you l- look at the music that I listen to on a daily basis, it's mostly very melodic stuff. So I don't see myself writing a black metal or a death metal record anytime soon. But I do like that kind of stuff as well you know it's like actually i mean you're not seeing it on camera but but you know i'm wearing a fallujah shirt right now you know so like i do also really like that kind of stuff and then there's also me listening to classical music and pop music and whatever and that all ends up into into this thing that i'm creating and it's actually funny. I had a review of someone telling me, uh, like, the, we had the first semi-negative review, which was a six out of ten, which, well, still isn't about great, I would say. And this person was like, "Yeah, it's too sweet." That was like, and then I looked at the reviews of that person. I was like, "Yeah, okay, that person just reviews black metal and death metal. Yeah, by that comparison, my music is very sweet. Yeah, but I still would not call this a sweet album between brackets because it's like." It's pretty dark, you know. <laughs> At least I think so. Right. I, I think well, yeah, that's sometimes a thing with reviewers, which is if the right if it, you don't have to like everything you reviewed and you don't you shouldn't have to listen to only what's in your genre. You have to kind of be a little bit of a generalist to write good reviews, in my opinion. But I at being a, a progressive rock nerd for my whole lifetime, uh, I do feel like progressive music in general even though it took on a new life with death metal mm-hmm. those same I, I really highly doubt like chuck Schuldiner, who i love death would was listening to like fragile and close to the edge from yes i doubt it uh and i don't think i i, I maybe paul masvidal was listening to pink floyd because everybody listens to pink floyd to a level but maybe yeah, he wasn't listening to beryllion and maybe he wasn't listening to jethro tull and maybe he wasn't listening to genesis with peter gabriel so and that's just progressive rock i'm not even getting into progressive metal and heavier music like dream theater and stuff so it's interesting when reviewers are like this is too sweet it's definitely not a a, a a pop album it's definitely complex it's definitely heavy in places that it needs to be and uh, and speaking of melodies i uh, helping me segue to my next thing with mm-hmm. your last answer i wanted to talk about the choir because i think that's another really nice touch did you uh, obviously you concepted this thing did you sort of choose these singers to, and pick their parts and score 
for them or did you kind of let them come in and say this is the part do what you do um well what i tend to do is when i write pre-pros i I kind of already hear what the choir should be so i i um like if you hear the pre-productions you'll hear me do these ridiculous high notes which which sound like complete crap but then i could sing that uh, send that to the uh excuse me get a little a little bit of air stuck here but let me let me rephrase that um but it's like when i when i sing these parts which are like ridiculously high for the pre-pros then i just know okay i know two sopranos who can sing this so i'll let them sing it and then obviously i'll remove my part and it sounds a lot better um so there is a a what i would tend to do is i would ask someone whose voice i like and i tend to like a diverse range of voices because on this record if you listen to someone like laura for instance uh laura ten hoot she has a bit more of a pop slash power voice she could really do like power ballads although she also does a lot of stuff with just piano and vocals and that's beautiful too but she's more like in a lower register for for a lady's voice and then i have someone like iris who's a classically trained soprano who is my vocal teacher and when you combine those two you get this really broad tapestry of sound which is what i try to achieve i try to go for uh try to pick voices that create this big broad sound together and what i tend to do is tell them like okay this is the part but i am always open for suggestions and there have been some moments that uh because most of the people i work with either are lead singers in their own bands or you know like i said they have like a classical background or whatever and they would also just say like hey would it be cool if i recorded your part but then also record a slight variation on it and let's just see how that blends together you know like uh, a lot of the magic also kind of happens when you're recording together and you're just vibing off one another and actually i think that those are the best the best parts because um yes i want someone to sing the part that i give them but often some of the most beautiful things kind of come to be when you're in the studio together and you're just in the song you know you're living inside that song for a few hours because most recording sessions last a well, max of four to five hours and then your voice is just tired but within those five hours you can do some really really yeah beautiful things that just kind of happen right there like snap that's just it then you know that you got it and the album has a lot of that fortunately i'm really happy about that right on and for a little more on a composing and obviously as a multi-instrumentalist you might have a thing that you favor when you go to com- compose and pick up to start writing is there a a particular palette or is there an instrument you feel most at home at that you begin everything with or is it whatever comes to your mind i'm gonna pick the the right tool for the sound well i mean um uh, i think the most important thing for me always is that i tend to write from concepts so uh, that might that and that is a bit of an alternative way of working but i always did that it's like i know for for a song um like you know when i when i'm writing a track i'm i'm thinking like okay this should be a metal song and it's about this i tend to know what the story is and i tend to know what kind of vibe i want to want to aim for and sometimes that starts with a guitar riff sometimes that starts with a drum part that sometimes that starts with a chorus melody i have moments that i just had a chorus uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you heard the uh, the album before this one, the Antithetic Affiliation, but that has a song called Anthem, which uh, w- which we still play live with Dreamwalkers Inc. to this day because that was the um, that was this that w- there's this chorus in there which is just uh, which is just one very simple melody like and we all walk together. And I just had that for a week. Like that was just in my head going around like I should use this for something. I'm not sure what. And at a certain point, I just recorded it and played some guitar underneath it and played some bass underneath it. 
and then the re- and then that very afternoon the rest of the song the full six minute song or seven minute song even just kind of came to be in the hours that followed and that started with just that one line so it's like there's got to be a spark of inspiration and the spark of inspiration can be yeah it, it could really be anything but I do notice over time now that I, uh, I either tend to have like a vocal melody or a part that I can sing in my phone. I have a lot of moments. I'm a very Dutch person, so I cycle a lot. And I always have my <laughs> phone with me. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously the most <laughs> Dutch thing ever. You cycle because that's what we do. Right. Um, <clears throat> but what I tend to do is I always have my phone with me. With, and actually, one of the apps on my lock screen is my recorder. So that if, I, if an idea pops up, like when I'm driving somewhere in the middle of the city or whatever, I suddenly have like a part in my head and I just know, oh, I can quickly sing it into my phone, take it home with me and then actually see if it's playable on a guitar or keyboards or whatever. And sometimes that could also just be three notes or, you know, a whole segment even. Sometimes I have complete lyrics for something and I have no idea where it came from, but I just got to record it to be sure. And on this album, there's, there's at least three songs that literally came to be because the songs just kind of happened to me on, on certain occasions. Nice inspiration, wherever it takes you. There you go. Nice work. Nice work. Yeah. I definitely got that when I was uh, in Holland and Amsterdam and Tilburg and all the cyclists. And I'm like, nobody rides a bike this much, even in Brooklyn. This is crazy. Um, (laughs) It's like, if I would ever move there, if I would ever move to America for whatever reason, then then I would probably be like the guy that is on his bicycle everywhere and then people would probably think I'm crazy. But it's like, you know, it's it's the most Dutch thing ever. It, it makes sense. Right. It does make sense. And if you've taken public transportation there or the rail, you the bike is better. And um, yep. <laughs> just my personal, sorry. And uh, but I love I love my time out there. And uh, I went for road burn and I'll never forget it. I had the best time. Awesome. Ever. Yeah. And I uh, spent some time in Amsterdam also walking around. And uh, actually, this is really funny for my my personal Prague journey. While I was in Amsterdam, hanging around for a few days at the end of my trip, I happened to upon a movie theater that was playing two old Pink Floyd soundtracked movies, right. uh, the the um, Antonini film. So more and Obscured by Clouds, which I love Obscured by Clouds, the soundtrack, uh, mm-hmm. which is almost like a video game and movie soundtrack in a way, more than even some of their most proggy keyboard stuff. Yeah, and, true. Uh, That's it was like true. a back-to-back showing for like uh, 10 euros. And I was like, this is the best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was, yeah. But but also with with you're mentioning more. I I remember seeing more the first time and just um, like the album in itself is not something I'd listen to often. But when I saw it with the film, I was like, ah, you know. Th- then it clicked. Then then it made more sense to me. Like obscured by clouds, I I tend to listen to more often by itself because right. just for album reasons, you know. Yeah. Well, obscured by clouds is like the. Uh, I love talking about Pink Floyd, so I could literally do this all day, but I don't want to take away from you. But I will say that Obscured by Clouds, I, I introduced that record to people who don't know it by saying, like, before Dark Side and Metal, this is the record you need to listen to before those. And go back and listen to that record and see things they borrowed from themselves on that soundtrack, convinced that no one had heard it or no one would ever hear it. And then they wrote Echoes, and then they wrote, you know, Grandchester Meadows, and then they wrote Time, and then they wrote, you know, a li- little bits of things like Us and Them. So the- those things are present later, which I love. But yeah, I mean, of course, like we all owe a debt to the 
early classics of of Prague. But what are your, you know, obviously you mentioned some of the things like Dream Theater and things. What other mm. uh, big Prague bands are are you know really present for you from well, the beginning and now? I mean, actually, just for the Floyd reference, uh, in my living room, I actually have an, an uh, artwork poster of Wish You Were Here, which which to me is like the best work that Pink Floyd has brought out. Like that one always hits me. It's one of those records that I love dearly, yet I cannot listen to it too much because it might get me crying. Uh, <laughs> like It's just too emotional for me, but I do love it so much. Um, and you know, next to it is is Zappa. So it, it's like th- those are those are two heavy hitters for me. And um, I would say Genesis with Gabriel. You know, an album like Nursery Crime is uh, the song the musical box by itself. I mean, if you if you just listen to that with modern ears, it's kind of ridiculous how they wrote that whole midsection in '69. You know, it's like. Th- there's metal bands that are not as heavy as the midsection of the musical box. You know what I mean? It's like, what, <laughs> what, what the hell were these guys thinking? And it, it's great. And, um, but, but obviously it's like that wave of bands. Uh, there is obviously also some yes influence in there. I mean, I cannot deny that close to the edges. First time I heard close to the edge, I was just, well, blown away by how over the top and ridiculous that is. And th- that, that leaves a mark. But I do think that, um, that, 70s slash 60s slash obviously also 80s because I do also love my Marillion and a lot of bands from that age but that combined with the fact that I am still a metal kid you know I am a kid that had its teenage years in the early 2000s so there is the the fact that I have seven string on my music for example that is completely new metal for instance you know like there would be no seven string guitars without the new metal boom from the 90s and and the, uh, the early noughties and that is in there. And then there's also just, I also like my share of stuff like, uh, I mean, I was raised on Slayer and Sepultura and those kind of bands as well. So that's in there as well. Um, but I do think that for me, the, the most formative bands in that sense, like I said before, The Pain of Salvation, Dream Theater, Symphony X, um, Evergrey is a band that I listened to a lot back then as well. Not, not as much anymore, but it's like your tastes evolve, obviously. And, and modern influences would really be, I'm, I'm a huge Between the Buried and Me nerd, like that band just scratches all my itches. They, they do it really well, uh, especially those last two records, the, the Automata ones, those were, that, that's insanity. Uh, Protest the Hero, it's a big one as well. I love those guys as well. And um, I, actually, I'm also really into weird, more obscure stuff like Xanta Croyd and those kind of bands. You know, I, I love it when, bands try to go for places that you don't necessarily expect and xanacroid has a lot of black metal in there which normally i would not listen to but the way they do it because they combine it with so many other genres i do like it and recently i caught myself listening to agalog again which obviously is also a ridiculously different thing once again you know so it's like there's a lot of different musical influences going around here and there's a pretty big chance that if you ask me now i would tell different names than in two years probably and then i would still listen to the things i'm listening to now but i do like the fact that my musical taste also sometimes is a bit of an adventure for me i could really discover a new band and then really go gung-ho on that as well and then uh, really get into that for like a few months or whatever that's also really fun 
Nice. I'm here to stand all that stuff you name drop, but I will say that I am particularly excited for this Zappa documentary that just got released and I haven't had a chance to get go watch it yet, but uh, made by Alex Winter from Bill and Ted, who's also a very serious documentary filmmaker too, when he's not making movies. Exactly. Keanu yeah. Reeves. <clears throat> and I've, I've seen Alex, uh, he has, um, I've seen some of his other work as well. And it was kind of funny because for a while I just knew the name Alex Winter as a documentary maker and I did know Bill and Ted, obviously, but I just never made the connection. It wasn't until someone told me like, that's the guy from Bill and Ted. I'm like, nah, <laughs> you know, it was just at this moment, like I could not connect those two things, but yeah, he, uh, the, the Zappa film. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw a few quotes and that basically just made my heart flutter a bit like, oh, Yes, I, I think he got it. You know, I think I think he got Zappa and he really tried to make that film as good as he could. Yeah, he loved he loves Frank and uh, we all owe a debt to Frank. Anybody who likes progressive music, you got to got to give it up to Frank. He was a genius. Oh, yeah. And uh, he in America, he fought for our rights, which is insane that he went to uh, Washington and told them censorship's a bad thing. Yeah, it's a shame they had right? it. Yeah, he was part of that. With I know D. Snyder has always talked about, but it was D. Frank Zappa and John Denver of all people because of Rocky Mountain High, and I guess people found that objectionable. Anyway, it's, it's, it's <laughs> okay. like John. John, it's like who does not belong in right. his list? D. Snyder, Frank Zappa. John Denver? <laughs> it's like that right. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. But he was great actually. And he get his he was, you know, very much what they expected, a suit and tie and a very well written statement and stuff. And they didn't they weren't really prepared for D or Frank at all. They figured these guys are not gonna they were gonna be bozos and they were brilliant. But um Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As as we wind this down, obviously it's a tough year. And again, congrats on putting out the digital version of the album and the physical will come in the new year. What are your sort of short range goals for 2021, if any, that you can talk about? Well, the, the first goal is actually pretty, um, is something that I really consider this, this a gift. I'm really grateful for this. The fact that... Um, some of you might know, some of you might not, but I started a pre-order for this album months ago and I started a pre-order on my own website. And the idea was that I wanted people to order the album in advance and then I would give them perks. But I, um, I originally was looking into stuff like Kickstarter and whatnot, but I just didn't feel right because a lot of those you know, companies take third-party fees and whatnot. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm not a rich man and I actually feel like that I want the audience to pay me directly so I can also show them what I'm doing with the money, you know, as opposed to putting, uh, putting a part somewhere else. So I started that, that, um, that personal pre-order through my own website and that went really well. Like, like we're, we've already reached quite a very nice uh, amount of money, which helped me in making this record. But what I did is I set up tiers and the highest tier, which was for a hundred euros, you would get the album, you would get a t-shirt, you would get a lot of exclusive stuff, but I would also write that person a song based on the ideas that they would bring in. So what happened was eight people, uh, nine by now, donated that tier. So suddenly it was like, okay, so I'm making a new album then <laughs> you know, because there's, there, there's enough people donating to this. So actually the two things that I have, that I have planned is writing this album, this new album for 2021. And I'll probably release that digitally and obviously send that, send the tracks out to everyone who contributed and, you know, make it a bit of a gift kind of thing. But it's really cool to actually write new music based on a prompt and, and having people 
telling you like, hey, here's this amount of money so you can make this album. And I'm really looking forward to you writing a song for me, which I think is a really beautiful and humbling thing. Like it, it, it's not even about the money. It's just the fact that someone wants me to put that effort in. It's like, wow, you know, I think that's really, really beautiful. And um, and actually, I've already started writing that new music. I'm already working on a few of the songs. Uh, I also told people that everyone who would contribute to the pre-order, everyone, even if you would just put like $1 in, I would thank you in a thank you song, which I'm writing right now. So that thank you song is going to have, well, by now we're on like 65 backers. So I at least have to put 65 names in that thank you song now, you know, because they've all been contributing to it. And, um, and it, I, I think it's a really... It's a really sweet thing because I can, these people obviously paid for the music that I've already made, but I do feel really strengthened in that sense. There's been moments in my career that I felt like no one gave a shit. And now suddenly there's all these people who do this because they, they like the music, they like the message I'm bringing and, you know, they want me to write a song for them. So I'll do it. You know, that's, I, I think that is very, a very great motivator. And next to that, the other short-term goal between brackets is that with the band Dreamwalkers Inc., which obviously was an offshoot of TDW, but is now a band by itself, we're going to work on a new album as well, which is slated for er probably late 2021, early 2022. So I'm now starting this new path in which I'm writing two albums at the same time, one with the band and one by myself, which... I'm actually really excited to do because I love making music. It's it's the thing that keeps me going, you know? So it's, it's kind of cool to realize that there's people waiting for both new music from the band and new music from me. And yeah, I love it. That that That's a great feeling. Nice. I love the idea of the thank you song. And uh, you may have your work cut out for you with 65 names to jam in there. <laughs> but again, luckily it's progressive rock. So long songs will be okay. Yeah, it's like, and, hey, uh, if it's 20 minutes of name dropping, that's fine too. You know, I'll just put like some crazy right. ass solos underneath it, whatever. Right. I'll make it work. That's awesome, man. And uh, I I I'll just end by saying that that makes perfect sense. Uh, anybody who's followed your career a little bit knows how you treat the fans and your relationship with fans and how you engage fans, uh, not just on social media, but in general. I think it says a lot about you. And I think this musical element is very unique and special. And that thing is really cool, man. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.